0: And welcome to IBM Biweekly, weekly a podcast focused on the technical aspects of IBM I operating system and the uh, community revolving around it. My name is Josh and with me is co-host Liam. Today is the 25th of March, 2019, and we have episode three, open source software on IBM I in store for you. Today, we're going to be talking with IBM's own Jesse Gorzinski. Uh, and we'll, before we do that, we'll be going over some news. Uh, and before we do that, We'll jump into the sponsorship spotlight for today.
1: We would like to thank our sponsor, the Omni User Group in Chicago at omniusergroup.org. Omni meets every third Thursday in the Chicago area. Uh, they have speakers and sessions and meetings and dinner. Uh, you can check the website, again, omniuser.org, uh, for their upcoming speakers and their upcoming upcoming dinner meetings. So thank you to them for sponsoring this episode.
0: Uh, now, on to the news. I think we'll start off with WMCPA. That just happened in Wisconsin. Uh, fantastic uh, con- uh, conference. I met a lot of great people. The students there were wonderful. I think that that was my favorite part of the conference was how much they involve students from the area. Uh, besides that, we have uh, some news from Liam. Well, some news,
1: some not. I will be speaking remotely for the Metro Midrange uh, Systems Association um, on the 19th of March, which um, since we are recording on the 18th, um, that is tomorrow for me. Um, And then the summit is next is, well, the week of the release of this podcast is when the summit is, which is next week. Um, And I'll I'll be speaking at that too, which is exciting. Um, And then I guess the, but the one bit of technical news that we can maybe start talking about um, is that there is the generic ODBC driver, which is going to be coming out, um, which is for IBMI, basically. Um, there's going to be drivers for Mac, Linux, and Windows that point to IBMI. There's also going to be a driver for IBMI that talks to IBMI, um, for, well, in ODBC drivers. So you can use those in PHP and Node.js and Java and so on and so forth. Um, they'll actually, and, and the thing is they're actually coming from IBM as well, which is really great. Um, and I'm,
0: yeah, it's very exciting.
1: I'm very, very excited. For, very excited indeed.
0: Yeah. So there's one other little bit of news to talk about that was from WMCPA. Um, very uh, took over the time slot that Mike was going to be speaking, uh, that I could not substitute and had a bit of a open discussion um about having a an accessible version of IBM i to students open source developers and such as the like um, him and i had a bit of a conversation at the beginning of the conference and some other students had already mentioned this also um, the platform just simply isn't accessible just to put it in 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 as simple terms as i can put it now uh yes anyone can get it but not anyone can afford it and a lot of the complaints that i hear from open source offerings out there if you go to them and you say why don't you support ibmi their answer almost always is we would love to we want to support everything we just can't afford a Box to test our software on and we're not going to release something that we cannot continuously test. Um, And, you know, that's a very valid point. They're open source software. They don't have the funds to afford an IBM I and neither do students that want to explore it. Um, And Larry's conversation that we had there was wonderful. We had, I think we had already... Um, practically figured out hardware, hosting issues, um, a website, a front end, a way to spin up and stop cloud partitions, etc. The only roadblock we were running into was um, figuring out the licensing. So we still need help with that. But it's a very exciting topic um, that we're hoping to really get some momentum behind. I think it's exciting. A lot of the students there were happy to hear about it when they joined the topic. Uh, And I, I think it's something that could really help the platform, honestly.
1: How exciting.
0: Yeah, that's that topic. Just to round it out, I guess, it's just basically the idea is some sort of free or very affordable way to spin up an IBM iCloud instance that allows you to develop for educational or open source purposes. Um, Well,
1: with that being said today, we have a very, uh, special guest, uh, the one and only Jesse was from IBM. Um, we had some questions for him, uh, of course, mostly related to open source because that is his role. um, and I will, Well, without further ado, here we go, man.
0: Welcome to the uh, interview pro- or discussion portion of the podcast. We have with us Jesse Korzinski. And Jesse, would you like to just introduce yourself, tell, you, tell us who you are and what you do at IBM, please?
2: Absolutely. I'm a business architect at IBM. Uh, that probably means uh, as much to you as it does to me, which is absolutely nothing. Uh, I don't know what a business architect is supposed to do. But my scope of responsibilities is open source technology on IBM i, And uh, here in development, I pretty much own everything that's either open source or enables the open source stack, for instance, the pace development or the whole pace environment. And uh, you know, I pretty much do everything that I can do to make sure that stuff is successful. And so that includes, you know, advocating for it at, at various events and blogs and things like this um as well as you know i get to hack away at code and and help things at that level as well so i kind of do you know technical non-technical whatever is needed to make open source successful so um hard to really wrap that up but uh that's that's who i am and i appreciate you guys having me here today
1: It, it makes sense okay i think a lot of people are aware but you you're actually in acs previously but correct me if i'm wrong you're actually part of the acs development team but uh all the uh, java something in that general area but what got you into ibmi specifically what was your background before you did anything ibmi related
2: so i didn't have any background before ibmi my first professional job was actually working at an I-Series shop when I was in college. So I got a job at this uh, loan subservicer, a loan servicing place, and uh, was just blown away by the amount of business and, and revenue that they they were on top of with very few employees, right? They had a lot of assets. They had billions of dollars in assets. They had, you know, I think they employed, if I had to guess, probably 45 people, right? And I was just amazed. And I learned that they ran all of their technology on this, you know, they called it the AS400, but this this weird machine in the closet. And uh, I started as kind of an operator doing some of those tasks, and I quickly kind of fell in love with it because I saw the power that this thing had. I actually was kind of fond of the green screen interface at the time because I was doing a lot of Linux, Unix stuff, which is a lot of command line stuff. And green screen is kind of command line on steroids, right? It's like I can type a command and press F4, you know, and I actually love that aspect of it. But then I then I grew into, you know, doing a lot more stuff with them. So I was doing more software development and process automation. And one of the things I did was actually moving some of our reporting techniques from these Windows machines over to uh, the iSeries. And, uh, you know, they ran in just a fraction of the time and took a fraction of the resources. We were able to cut down some Windows machines and it was it was really fun. So I fell in love with the platform, and it was a good follow on that I got hired here at IBM to work on the platform as well. Wow.
0: Nice. Okay. So you've just been in it from the beginning.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only job right. I had before iSeries was uh, at a chair factory. And let's not talk about that too much.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, with that, then I guess we'll jump into something a bit more technical. We thought we'd throw you a curveball and uh, see if you even could describe this but do you have any idea why PTFS came about and what was the original idea behind these um patches or uh, between uh releases and such
2: yep so so the original idea um was you know we started seeing the value of some of these open source technologies and of course it started with node.js the server-side javascript we saw the value there uh, very early, we saw the, the capability that it had, uh, you know, because as I've mentioned multiple times publicly, you know, Node.js is some of the most fascinating technology I've ever worked on. And, um, you know, we saw that, that what Node.js provides and what IBMI customers needed, it, it, you know, there was a lot of overlap, a lot of synergy there. But we brought Node.js on, and the reason for PTFs was really, to an extent, you know, that's kind of the way it's always been done. And we wanted to deploy something and ship something and allow people to maintain things in in these standard IBMI fashions so that system administrators just needed to know, here's another licensed program offering. Here's a set of group PTFs. That's, you know, that's all you need to know. And then we broke it up into options and we delivered various technologies and all these different product options. And the thought really was to do things conventionally. And and to try to make this technology easy to digest and easy to get started with from that angle. Right.
0: Mm.
2: And um, you know, <laughs> as do, as you guys you know they're successful. What's that?
1: Do you think it was successful?
2: I I I think it was to some extent, actually. Um, uh, you know, now we're in the process of, of killing OPS for lack of better words. Uh, a lot of the options there are already, you know, no longer receiving fixes and so on. But it, it was successful in the sense that there was this set of customers that adopted it because of the familiarity, right?
0: Right. Because, I completely agree.
2: Because they were, they were adopted to, you know, various other technologies that we've carved out these license programs for, and, and they were able to use it. And it was just, again, it was this familiar thing. And, and that did drive some success. It did drive, in my opinion. Uh, awareness I would um we're doing yeah
0: I would go further than some success because you can look at it now uh 5733 OPS was adopted I would say fairly quickly especially but but now yum it's like we're having to continuously present about it and people are still slow like they're slowly adopting it where 5733 OPS, it was like maybe one year and almost everybody had it.
2: Yeah. Um, And, and there were, you know, there were various partners and things as well that were just, um, mm -hmm. you know, Hey, we're installing a stack of products for you. We're just adding this one to the list. Right. And it was Mm -hmm. very easy in that regard. Right. Um, but it, it, of course, it, you know, it ran into some sustainability issues and things. But, uh, but yeah, that it, it was pretty successful because suddenly, like you say, we had you know a decent share of our customers having this stuff installed, a decent amount of those customers at least having somebody who's tinkering and playing with it, right? And and that was pretty big. And it was it was uh, you know I wouldn't say that doing an LPO was was the worst or the <laughs> best decision, right? It's somewhere in the middle.
1: All right. Okay. So if you have that reliability with the PTF group, 5733 OPS, if you have that reliability and everybody's using it, whose idea was it to move to YUM then? What, and what was the breaking point of actually moving to it? Because that's obviously quite a change from someone that's so used to having, a you know, just PTFs to install things. Whose yeah, it was, was a it huge
2: change. Yeah. Um, oh, it was a know, huge <laughs> if you're looking for a single person to, uh, you know, put a face on a dartboard, it'd, it'd be me. But, uh, you know, for various reasons, we there was a number of us here inside of development um, who, who were seeing that the PTF model just wouldn't last long term. It was not a viable way to continue doing open source work in the ways that we wanted to do open source work. And so, um you know, it kind of it, it took a while for us to realize that yes this is worth trying to get customers to learn some new skills in order to make the transition and then of course it took us a while just to get the technology and everything lined up and working right getting elm working was not an afternoon activity uh, getting the rpm ecosystem working of course was was uh, substantial as well so, so it took us a while but uh you know like i said there were a lot of us in development particularly anybody who is Dealing with spinning those PTFs, um, you know, we, we saw we needed something else. And, and of course, uh, aligning with Red Hat seemed like the right thing to do with, with the whole Red Hat ecosystem. So, right. so that's what we did.
0: That makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, that's really good to know. So uh, speaking of Yum and the packages it delivers, we thought we might say, uh, speak on maybe a sensitive subject. Who knows? But. <laughs> Uh, we, so we have Node.js available, we have Python available, um, Nginx and other open source technologies, but we don't have PHP outside of a packaged solution yet. We are, we're not able to yum install PHP and its extensions yet. Is there anything in the uh, roadmap for maybe seeing that in the future?
2: So, so I'll give you a little bit of a vanilla answer here, but I, but I want to make a few things clear. The first is, of course, you know, PHP and IBMI has been accomplished by this partnership that we've had with Zend, now mm-hmm. RoadWave, or actually now Perforce, for those who've seen that, that news. And we have a very long, uh, strong relationship with them doing PHP. Right, and so of course that's how we got Zen Server back in the day. That's how we've gotten the Zen Server updates over the years. This package solution that you mentioned, and uh, right now, you know, I would say that that collectively uh, both companies are kind of looking at what the right solution is moving forward. And I'd be unsurprised to see some changes moving forward. Um, but again. We're, we're really working with them very strongly to uh, not only get the builds and the technology, but also you know make sure that we have the right quality in place before we make any changes. Um, and, and again, we're just kind of reanalyzing, right? Because I think what happened when we brought YAM and RPMs onto the system, I think uh, in a sense, it was a paradigm shift, right? And I think uh, Zen Server, which by the way, you know, I think the help system survey shows something like a third of our active customers are using the thing. Um, ZEN server really was uh, easy to install in its own way, but it, it really doesn't align well with uh, this new paradigm and this new mechanism that we have uh, in RPMs, as you, as you guys know, right? Which is why you're asking, which is why right, everybody's right. asking. Um, you know, at, at the a, moment, I could say, let's... Oh, go ahead.
1: No, no, no carry, please, no. Carry on, I don't know. No, I was just
2: going to say. At the moment, I would say let's let's not rule out anything, and uh, let's just see what happens. Because, like I said, we we want to make sure that we do the right thing for the thirty-some percent of our active customers who are using PHP, as well as uh, new people that we'd like to bring in and get attracted to that language as well. So,
1: yeah, that was a very right good here. good legal response there, Jesse. I'm impressed.
2: Yeah. <laughs> i read it from a script actually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. i'm at liberty to say i uh, to put you on the yeah. spot
1: i understand um so uh we you know we have a couple more questions we we don't want to uh you know keep wasting your time no, but something it. that's something that's interesting is, i mean people can create ptfs right as you know it's easy for you know um business partners to ship their products in a ptf but what is the the process or the workflow that ibm has to deliver a new package so all the way from picking the next you know open source solution and actually delivering it to the repository to the to the um ibm's yum repository do you do you know what the process looks like is there a kind of board that has to pick which ones are gonna you're gonna ship or you know, what's the
2: yeah yeah i mean it, it all starts with the picking right and and to some degree that's the hard part to some degree that's the easy part and i'll explain why it's it's the hard part because uh you know we're we're delivering things at such a uh, more rapid rate right now that you know it everything we every time we deliver one thing it opens the door for five more things that people want <laughs> Right. So when we had OPS, that was still OK because we'd ship two things a year and we'd get, you know, people wanting 10 things a year. Right. And now that we're shipping hundreds of packages, uh, there's uh, you know between the RFEs that we've gotten, which, by the way, is really the recommended way to go about uh, submitting requests for these things. But, uh, between the RFEs that we've gotten, between requests that we've gotten from ISVs, business partners and, and more private venues emails that i've gotten tweets and so on i mean we literally have uh, hundreds of things that the community would like to have right now mm-hmm. right and and some of those could, the community has stepped up to deliver which is which is actually right. awesome and that's one of the major reasons we chose to transition away from ptfs so,
0: could you elaborate on the um, rfes really quickly for those that may not know
2: that. Sure, yeah. So, so RFEs are uh relatively new to IBM I and the IBM I community. I think we rolled them out uh officially, was it early last year? Uh, I sh- this is something it might I have been know. a bit, <laughs> I think it might have been yeah. 2017. Uh, I've been having yeah. fun, so yeah. time's been flying over here. But yeah, I was gonna
0: say, I think it was
2: 2017 uh when we rolled out yeah. RFEs, but uh, anybody. I mean, you don't even have to be technically entitled to IBM I and have an IBM I system. Um, you, don't have to be, you don't have to be on an advisory council or a special group. Anybody can, in the, in a sense, submit requirements to IBM I development team through this process called the RFE process. And, and it's a process that other organizations within IBM, a, within IBM as a whole, have been using for several years it's been pretty successful, so we, we rolled it out to IBMI. So um, if you have anything you'd like to have changed about any of our products, whether it's open source, whether it's ACS, whether it's RPG and the compilers, uh, you can go submit an RFE. And that RFE is, is publicly viewable. And you can also see if you get votes on that RFE. Other people can go vote it up for you. Right. So Um, That's something that that we take into account as well when we're trying to gauge uh, what technologies uh, we like to deliver. It's a balance between popularity and and business need, right?
0: Okay. So once one is chosen, where do you start getting into building everything?
2: So so once one is chosen, of course, we start with a little bit of feasibility analysis, you know, look at the dependencies. um, You know, are there things that, we don't have that—that that it needs to build, right? Which is a common thing. We look at uh, how the AIX builds work, right? We we kind of stand on the shoulders of AIX for a lot of this stuff, and we steal their uh, build scripts and spec files, and and use that as a template sometimes. Um, but yeah, then it's then it's really, um, you know, working through whatever build system the project has, getting stuff built, getting stuff tested. A lot of the things have have test suites as part of the project as well. Um, And then, uh, you know, once we have something that builds and it works and it passed tests and the quality seems there, we do have a really cool CI CD system that we've developed internally where, you know, we can push changes into uh, a GitHub enterprise uh, repository and it just kicks off builds and it kicks off deployments and, and they go live in a very short period of time.
0: Is there? I don't mean to interrupt, Liam. I know you have something to say, but really quickly, Jesse, is there something special about GitHub Enterprise that's different from just GitHub? Good question.
2: Great question. Uh, so GitHub Enterprise is still, uh, it's it's viewable only by other folks in your enterprise, and more specifically, uh, in this case, it's folks that you've granted permission to, right? So, so there's GitHub, which is public, and there's GitHub Enterprise, which is private, and there's actually a lot of other. Um, less important differences there, but I don't want to get into it in too much detail, but but it's really our own private GitHub that we can use for, for IBM-only purposes.
0: And they support you in pretty much anything you would like to do and integrate with that.
2: Yeah, we've had, uh, I mean, we, we haven't needed to actually engage support, but I've heard that the support for us has been very good. Um, but we have, you know, we have integrated as part of our build system, we've integrated it with uh, several Python scripts, we've integrated with Jenkins, um, and we've integrated with a few other tools as well, just to kind of keep tabs on things. Artifactory is one uh, that we use as part of our CI CD system as well. So it's really easy, because it's Git and it's GitHub, it's, it's a very common, standardized, popular technology that's been serving serving us well.
1: That's cool. Now I had a, a just coming back to the development of, you know, putting a new RPM in the repository, do you find that you actually have to make many changes to the to the original project's code base to make it run on IBM I specifically? And if so, do you are those changes that are made, are they upstreamed to the original, you know, source, the original repository?
2: that that varies no, no greatly the there's question. most projects i mean if if we were to look at pure numbers i mean most of the projects don't need any source code changes for IBMI, uh which which is good right you know and i'm thinking you know if i had to guess probably 70 to 80% just just build
1: it's right? run they just run um, no problem
2: yeah, maybe a little tweaks to the build system to uh, tell it, you know, about our file system architecture, how we deliver RPMs. But beyond that, a lot of them just build, right? Because a lot of open source projects are made to be very portable, right? Um, then there's then there's you know the handful of projects where we need to make you know a handful of small changes. Uh, there's some projects for which we need to make very substantial changes. And uh, you know, you're absolutely right. Everything that we have changed has been upstreamed or has uh, at least plans to be upstreamed. So, uh, you know, Node.js itself, which is our most popular package, uh, all of our changes have been upstreamed so that, you know, you can use the NVM tool, the Node version manager tool and, and build it yourself because all of our changes are there. Ah, right? Yep. And Cool.
0: All right. Well, so I think we've covered the process from start to finish with RPMs. Other than, um, I do want to kind of make it clear to everyone out there. I make this clear in my presentations too. But when you're installing an RPM from IBM's repository, RPM repository, the one that's included with YUM by default, those are shipped and maintained by IBM. They're not just they're not just packages that have been copied and pasted, they have been curated first and then shipped and maintained, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. And that and that's a great point for people to understand and know, you know, when we first started advocating for RPMs and we started talking to, you know, our early testers and our advisory groups and things like that, you know, that was a real point of concern which is you know, customers know that if it comes from the entitled software support site, it's official. If it comes from fixed center, right. it's official and so on. Right. And here we are like, oh, yeah, you know, we started with just an FTP based site. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, yeah, here's an FTP site. Just go download stuff from there. And even though it is, it's an IBM.com site, people still rightfully so had had some, uh, uh, you know, hesitation there. So, so that is important to know. Now we have HTTPS, there's a certificate, you can verify some things. And uh, yeah, it's it's really important for people to understand that is official IBM curated content. We're the only people who are publishing stuff out to that IBM.com site.
1: So that doesn't, but that doesn't mean that someone can't make their own repository, right? So for example, if I wanted to, you know, rebuild Ruby and put it into my own repository and let someone use that, that's possible, right?
2: Absolutely, and again, that was Absolutely. that was one of the main reasons why we started choosing standard technology for this stuff. Is because yes, with with PTFs, you know, you mentioned earlier there are some partners and things who know how to build PTFs, but the average user, the average, even the average ISB or business partner, doesn't know how to build a PTF. Right. Yeah. And and so now it's it's all the build systems, the the distribution mechanism, it's all just this very popular standardized technology and, and anybody can do it. In fact, you know, Josh is probably ready to go pitch his repo. He has a repository up there that uh, <laughs> ships. Yep. Yep. Um, oh, I didn't say uh, that. By the way, our development team uses software from Josh's repository to, to customize oh. our environments. So,
0: oh wow, yeah. well flattering.
2: <laughs> the dot do, files yeah. endorsed by Jesse, you know.
0: <laughs> <All right. laughs>
2: but it, is, but it is good stuff, right? And and now that you mentioned it, uh, you know, as well, the other significant thing that was out there in a third-party repository was, of course, the Mono runtime for IBM i.
0: Right? Yeah, very cool stuff.
2: Yeah, am- am- amazingly cool stuff, and. Um, you know, to see such a substantial community contribution and such a large accomplishment from the community as well, I think is a milestone in the history of open source, right? And I think 10 you know. years from now, when open source is in every IBM I shop that's running any any type of innovative software on the planet, you know, we're going to look back and I think that's going to be one of the milestones that ends up on PowerPoint slides and right. things as well.
0: You know, I, that's what I bring up a lot in my slides toward the end um, is that, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be part of that um, explosion that happened when Linux became popular or even started. And, uh, you know, I was too young to be a part of that. But right now is that time on IBM I. So Feels good. if you want a chance to be a part of history being made because it's right now, then now is the time. You could start your own repository and start shipping packages and everything, just like what PERZL used to be, basically. Um, you know, so like I said, I'm going to repeat it again. Now's the time to join if you want to be a part of that.
2: Yeah. Um, and, and and it really is now. I mean, I've been using the words open source revolution, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when I talk to people now is the time, you know, even, uh, you know, I, a lot of the customers I can't name by name, but I mean, we've been seeing in the past year even an explosion in the amount of people actually deploying things to production with open source, right?
0: That is so you know, It's cool. like
2: three years ago, open source was almost taboo outside of the PHP realm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a couple years ago, everyone was interested in it. Not a lot of people were doing any more than dabbling, but now we're actually seeing uh, real businesses running <laughs> real. Um, significant parts of their business on on these open source stacks and so uh, it really is right now it's hitting this inflection point where it's starting to take off and you know we are just getting started to steal Liam's tagline from the 30 year video but um we are just getting started well this is this is a revolution and quite honestly this is the most important period in IBM's history in a very long time it's a very exciting time to be working on IBM I. As, as we're letting this uh, hybrid world grow, which is this hybrid of, you know, ILE and open source technologies working together to make real results. It's, it's just incredibly exciting.
0: Well, I think that incitement is a great way to end the technical part of the podcast. Um, and I think we'll just move on to the more personal uh, what's going on in your life right now? You know, do you have any, a current passion that's taken over or anything or a hobby?
2: Uh, well, the short answer is no, as sad, as sad as it is, you, be <laughs>
0: you
2: know, whenever I check out at Trader Joe's, they, they train their employees to ask, you know, like, what are you doing for the weekend? And it's always, you know, some boring, boring <laughs> stuff, but, uh, now my wife and I, we have a passion for travel. And so,
0: hmm.
2: um, you know, that's, that's usually what we're doing kind of uh, when we can is we're trying to figure out, you know, where can we go? Uh, how do we get there? Um, you know, when, when are we going places? And so my wife and I are now, you know, we have a trip to the Caribbean coming up next month. Um, you know, yeah. we're looking at going to Banff, the, the one of, I think, Canada's first national park. Anyone familiar with that? And we're looking at a couple mm-hmm. other continents, Egypt and Asia as well. We're, we're looking to get... get uh, get some trips into because we just like seeing the wonders of the world and and getting inspired by that right
0: yeah yeah you know you and I talk about that a lot it seems uh I'd say if I if I know anyone that's an expert at travel it's you um
2: well that's trying my advice yeah it's uh (laughs) you know like I say it's it's something that we we just really like doing and we like like to um you know a lot of the places that we go we like to just kind of uh, live in the local culture for a while, right. If we can, you know, just, just uh, you know, be, be, be another resident of wherever we are. And, and and that's the best way to embrace the culture, right. Whether that means, yeah, that might mean you're staying somewhere and you're buying grocery from the local grocery store and, you know, <laughs> doing that kind of stuff. That's, that's mm-hmm. how people live. You know, we like doing that stuff. And and there's so much in the world that's just so magical and so empowering to see, you know, uh it's that, that's that's really what we do. And so that's usually what's going on in my life is uh you know, I'm either planning a trip or, you know, I'm I'm at home like dreading being home because Rochester, Minnesota is not a nice place to be <laughs> and, and I'm somewhere to go. Right. Uh, and right now, you know, we're excited that uh, you know, the snow's finally melting and uh spring is right around the corner, or at least that's how it feels right now. And uh you know that's that's just a good feeling as well. I'm not a not a huge fan of uh, Minnesota winters.
1: Hmm. Well, maybe I'll see you both in Berlin. Maybe. Yeah. See.
0: <laughs> we'll see. see. Yeah. So it's gonna be hard. Right, well, but... thanks so much for joining us, Jesse. Right, that know, was and, a fantastic talk.
2: Yep, and and again, thank you guys for having me, and and I look forward to uh, hearing future episodes of this podcast as well so you guys have a great day and to the listeners as well
0: thank you jesse thank you very much it's been good well that was a fun time uh i think jesse did a great job representing the open source community yeah
1: it was good and uh, i actually can appreciate that we got probably more out of him than i was expecting and it was really all the wow i got all my most of the questions answered answered in well with more wording than I was expecting, which is really good. So
0: I like the way you're saying that. Yeah, I agree. We did get, um, we did get some great information and some uh, good candid conversation from Jesse. So I'm happy with all that. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to have him on again later on to just sort of discuss the evolution maybe a a year or so from now about how open source is going. Um, but Yeah. Well, I, I I think that that just kind of is the end of the episode. I mean,
1: I don't think we have much more to to say for this yeah, one until pretty
0: sure that that was it. I mean, we could tease a little bit. We still have um, in the future. We're planning on RPG and um, DB two being topics, obviously. So things are looking great, and we hope everyone will continue to listen and spread the word because this is going to be a uh, Very informative podcast.
1: Great. Well, thank you for listening. We appreciate your time. It's been good.